Welcome to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. Well, today I have a guest that is really on the move and is forward thinking. Yes, I'm really excited. He is not only the partner, but founder of At Financial. And that in itself should tell you a little bit about how forward thinking that he is. And he has made every effort to go a step beyond your typical, yeah, typical advisory firm. And we've talked about finances in the past, but he he utilizes this client-focused discovery in how he does his business. And I really, I really value that. And I know that you're going to as well, because he utilizes discovery in this method with planning, implementing, and it's all aimed at creating tailored solutions directly to you. And this is important because we all have a different way in how we handle our finances. We all have a different way in which, well, our finances are handling us, right? And that really shouldn't be the case because when this happens, it can lead us spiraling out of control and frustrated. And I don't know, I'm envisioning just like us with our hair all over the place and frantic and not knowing what to do. But what's really important about this is that his business at Financial is tailored to business and individuals. So if you have a small business, you're an individual or even a big business, he can actually help direct which direction that you need to go. What's really interesting in this is that the solutions that are offered are practical and they are natural and holistic. Yes, this is a different way in responding to finances. And again, I know that we've talked about this before. I'm just so excited about talking to you about a customized, effective solution. And this is different. So my guest today, it's, he has a really, really neat background because he's graduated from Hampton University. He was magna, oh my gosh, magna cum laude. And um, he holds several, yes, several licenses. And again, co-founder, um, he's also been a business consultant. He's got a doctorate in psychology. Yes. So this is important. Why? Because he's going to understand how we think about how finances are and how it applies to us on an individual basis. This sets him apart and his business apart from other financial, financial investment institutions. And I say institutions because that's like biz business, big business, and they're, you know, responding to you in this cookie cut mold, and you are supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that, without taking into account all of these other little factors and how they apply directly to you. So, not only that, but my guest has so many different humanitarian um working relationships and awards behind him that really also sets him sets him apart. He has contributed to so much research in um, just examining social dynamics and methods in optimizing. Now listen to this, optimizing cooperation and efficiency in team groups. This is really important. And he's going to explain to us why in just a minute. So without any further ado, let's bring him on to the show. Welcome, Sam McElroy. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here today. Yes, thanks for having me, Rebecca. I'm glad to be here. 
how did you get started in this? Because you have a doctorate in, in psychology. You then, I mean, you just have moved and put psychology into finances. And this is something that is not common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting background. And I'm really just so grateful to have had a lot of the experiences that I've had throughout the course of my life because it really has given me a unique insight or a unique lens, I guess, in which we approach what we do with people. But, you know, I talked to a lot of other psychologists about this. And having been in the field, they really understand what I'm getting ready to say. But psychology is such an adaptable field. You know, the skill sets that it gives you can really be intertwined and interplayed in a multitude of different varieties. And so starting out, uh, my background really was in the social sciences. You know, my, my uh, undergrad degree was in sociology. And from there, I entered a doctoral program for psychology, really focusing primarily on clinical psychology. So it was actually working with individuals around trying to uh, just make sense, better understand themselves, better understand the relationship they have with other people, the relationship with the world. And in doing so, help them lead more productive lives, for whatever that really meant. And all along the way, uh, you know, through a number of different entrepreneurial efforts, I, I stumbled actually across who I would call my first mentor, and he was the one who actually encouraged me to get into the field of personal finance. And okay. when I did that, I was kind of working in personal finance and psychology in tandem. And after a while, I that where my heart was really drawn, where my passion was, wasn't necessarily in having a traditional clinical practice, but it was in developing uh, an, an inner connection between finance and psychology. So being able to look at the psychology of personal finance, but also being able to work with corporations and nonprofit organizations around uh, finance and about how to be stronger from an economic standpoint. And there's so much dichotomy, you know, the more we talk, we'll kind of get into it, but there's so much that really comes into how finance influences the way that we react with our community, with our families, and with ourselves. Oh, that's a really good point because, so one of my first questions, I'm going to go, come back to that thought here in a okay. second, because one of my first questions when you were talking was, I wonder how many people that when you were doing your research and studying, really the common denominator in some of the challenges that they were facing were finances. And that brings me back to my next question in that how much of this comes back to our response being based on either income, lack of it, or um, the pressure based on owing or not being able to obtain. Yeah. So here's something that's really interesting, and, and this kind of goes back to why we use a holistic model. And it's, it's kind of abstract, so people don't always know what we mean when we talk about taking a holistic view or a client-centered approach. But here's basically what we mean. Too often, I think we look at money as this inherent thing that we want to try to attract, we want to try to have. But at the end of the day, what really adds personal significance is the things that are practically meaningful for us. You know, money is always an ends to a mean. It in and of itself doesn't actually accomplish anything. But I right. as a mean <laughs> have people, I have causes, I have things that are practically meaningful for me. And to the degree that money becomes involved, it either accentuates uh, things that I can do and gives me a broader reach, or it can be... Uh, you know, for lack of a better word, a problem or a stumbling block that can trigger 
a lot of the same psychological processes that can give me issues in personal relationships or give me issues uh, in my workplace or other things like that. And so we have to understand how interconnected it is with us as human beings in terms of how we relate to the world. And that's so interesting. I find all of this so absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it, it, it really, you know, goes so much further than that. You know, we talk about uh, a lot of what we do when we work with clients, in a sense, we've stolen from concepts from the field of psychology. And while psychologists that are watching this may say that this is like <laughs> not really what these concepts are meant for, but in me, it, you know, for us, it was a way for framing some of the things that we think about. And, and here's one example. Uh, when you start working with family dynamics, there's a uh, model of, of psychological work called family systems. And one of the core tenets of family systems is the idea that, you know, you may have, let's say, a couple siblings and a a husband and a wife and and they come in presenting with the problem that you know Johnny over here keeps getting in trouble at school and nobody can control him and so some models in psychology would hyper focus on Johnny and Johnny's behavior but family systems would say that really this function is in the family in the system and that they're each facilitating roles that are making this behavior manifest if we apply that then to the world of finance I see so often in families and in couples where there are issues or problems or you know, relational things that need to be worked on, but money, in a sense, fills this role of the dysfunctional person, so to speak, the problem child. And so while there's really other things going on at the core, it's easier to focus on the argument over finance or over money because it's something tangible and something that allows them to almost take a step back from the real problem, the core issue. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And so... When you started getting into finances and really focusing on, you know, combining your learning from psychology into this, how far then afterwards was it that you ended up founding your app financial company? It was all pretty seamless. You know, in a way, I can say that I didn't plan any of this. In fact, so much of what happened in my life was, you know, serendipity in a sense, just kind of taking a step forward, things just happening. When I initially kind of got introduced to the world of personal finance at the time, I had a real estate investment company. And I actually was looking for private uh, donors, private uh, funders in a sense that were helping to fund some of the real estate deals that I was working on. And it just so happened that through a friend of a friend, I was introduced to a financial advisor, and I was trying to convince him that he ought to get into real estate with me, and he ended up convincing me that I actually should get into finance. Throughout the course then, I started really just developing what would be kind of like my own private practice, and, uh -huh. and we just called it McElroy Financial, and it was focused more on retirement planning and some college planning and some other things, and I kind of got into consulting with businesses and doing some pieces around that also. But there was a, there was a realization that the way that the financial industry was moving, I think was starting to really split from what individuals wanted from our industry. Okay. Meaning, meaning that, and this isn't, this isn't to put anybody down, but I, I think if you ask anybody, one of the biggest problems they have with the financial industry, it comes down to lack of personalization and distrust. And over the years, I think as an industry, we've earned that. You know, we have made things so convoluted 
that the average investor really has no idea what we're talking about, so they have to just blindly trust us that we're doing what's in our best interest. But we know that the, the model that the industry uses primarily to make revenue oftentimes is at the expense of the personal investor. And that just breeds distrust. We see so many areas where people are getting taken advantage of from Ponzi schemes or right. just from overcharging of fees. Well, and what you're saying is really crucial too because trust in any relationship is crucial. And once it's broken, mm -hmm. it's very, very difficult to regain. And so when a person goes from having a trust that has been broken in one relationship, moving to another relationship, it's difficult. So when you apply that in term with going from one financial uh, relationship and then say moving to another financial advisor or firm, I mean, there's going to be a lot of apprehension and a lot of trust building work, footwork for the person that is taking on a new relationship with that person who's had the broken trust. So you, you're, I mean, you're already into this. You know what needs to be done. You've developed a system of being able to work with a client on an individual basis and know these issues so that you can good develop a good relationship with them, build a rapport and work specifically on the things that they need. And I think that this is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's all of those things. And I think you kind of had a, a key point kind of in what you were saying when you're talking about what happens when there's a breach of trust, you know, we know that whether good or bad, our earliest experiences tend to shape our paradigms. And no matter how much we want to break free from those, if we don't intentionally try to reset the, the stage, so to speak, we tend to default to old paradigms and old ways of thinking. And, and we see this in every area, not just finance, but you can see it in relationships. You can see it you know, when people have been hurt or, or abused or whatever else it might be. And the same thing is true kind of when it comes to money. So if somebody has had an experience, whether personal for themselves, or whether kind of like a collective shared experience of feeling taken advantage as the collective because the industry has done something that has kind of breeded this mistrust. The question is, what do people do to start to repair their faith that somebody out there in this industry could actually start to help them accomplish things in their own life? And the answer to that is that it happens the same way in finance as it does in our personal lives that it starts by being centered. It starts by being present with the individual and by putting them first. They have to understand and they have to come to internally believe that it's not just another talking head, it's not just another sales pitch to get them to be manipulated into doing something, but that you actually understand who they are, what makes them tick, what they care about, and that the two of you can join together to collectively try to accomplish that. I absolutely love it. So tell me about what App Financial does and what you do. Yeah, you know, when I think about App Financial, there's two primary pieces that I would say are, are what distinguish us kind of as a company. The first one is that we are holistic in nature. And what that means is that when you look at the financial services industry, I think that the way that it exists today is very fractionalized meaning somebody is gonna have an insurance agent who does their home and auto and personal umbrella, they're gonna have an accountant who does their taxes, someone who does their investments, someone else who maybe does you know, legal work, and someone else who does their life insurance or health insurance. 
And all these people are so hyper-focused in their own silo that none of them are communicating with each other and none of them are trying to create the synergistic plan. So what we're set out to do is to have a client-focused approach where we have a breadth of knowledge in multiple different disciplines so that when somebody comes to us, we can start first with trying to understand where they are and where they're trying to go. And we can then bring a holistic plan around them that helps to encompass every aspect of what they're doing in a way that pushes all forward and pieces aren't working against each other. You know, the second piece that's unique, I think, for us is that I would say that we specialize in what we call retirement income distribution planning. Okay. People talk about retirement planning a lot. But in my mind, and this maybe is my own personal bias, but I think I've seen it enough in the industry that I would say it's true. But what the majority of the industry calls retirement planning, I don't think actually is retirement planning. I think it literally is the same strategies they use when people are trying to accumulate wealth. They just recognize, well, now you're taking money out. But they haven't actually changed a different strategy or a different methodology in how they do it. Okay. So we developed a, a process called STRIDE, which stands for Strategically Tailored Retirement Income Distribution. And it is a process that we utilize to take people who are retired or approaching retirement and actually lead them step-by-step step through a repeatable process to transition from living off of, well, now I go to work for income, to actually being able to live out of or live, or live off of their resources and assets in perpetuity in a meaningful way. Oh, that's pretty interesting because there's a lot of people who have either been through a situation like the crash here in the economy a few years back, lost all of their retirement. You know, the, they lost a lot of money on their 401k and then they, they ended up having to retire and have nothing. And they're saying, okay, I've got this fixed income now. Maybe it's social security or whatever. And they're thinking, what do I do now? Because I still have X, Y, and Z to meet, or this is what I would like to do. You know, this is what I would like to achieve to, to do whatever, or leave a legacy for my children or whatever the case may be. And I think there's a lot of retirees or those that are approaching retirement, maybe that didn't even, um, you know, have the forward thinking back then or have the means or whatever the case may be. And they're at a starting point now where they go, okay, I need to do something, but there's a lot of places out there that are telling me that I can't because my debt to income ratio says that I don't have anything extra. Now, what do I do? And who's there to help me? Because everybody that I've talked to is saying, I'm sorry, I can't help you. If you don't have an extra 500 or a thousand dollars a month and they're saying, well, that's all I get. You know, where do I go? Who do I talk to? What do I do? And I think with what you're telling me and what you're sharing with the audience is fascinating. I said that three times already because it is. And, um, <laughs> It is. It really is. I, I think that it really is so important because it's hitting home with people that have a need and know that you're going to really be able to talk to them and work specifically with their individual situation. And they're not considered a lost cause or, you know, that, okay, well, here you're fitting, like I said earlier, into this cookie cutter thing. And I'm sorry, we just can't help you. That you have a way to work with each individual to help them move in a direction that, direction that is custom for them. And I really like that. I really like that. If you had something <laughs> that you could share with the audience that would help them move forward today, like if you, they could just, after the show today, they were going to like, okay, I'm really excited about this. Um, or 
I learned something from Sam. What would you say that could help them feel inspired and, and ready to move yeah. and make a change? You know, I, I want to answer that by telling a little story and then I'll tell specifically what I think people ought to do. But uh, there was an organization, there is an organization here in Chicago that we've been involved with for a number of years, pretty much ever since the local chapter of the organization started. And it's a nonprofit organization called Back on My Feet. And really what this organization does is it works with people that are homeless or experiencing homelessness to help them really the end goal is to help them transition into permanent housing, into having a job, into having uh, a stable life in terms of you know, from an economic standpoint and personal standpoint. But they do it through the power of running. And here's why this is so interesting. What they recognize, and I don't know how intentional or unintentional it was, but what they recognized is that before you actually can start to see the outward manifestation of success, you first have to change the inner dialogue that you hear about what is possible and isn't possible. So through running, they find that they can do things they never thought they could do. And now you have people that were homeless that have gone on to be able to run marathons and they're recognizing that whether it's doing a 5K, whether it's doing a 10K a marathon, or even if it's just getting up at five in the morning to do local runs, each time they do that, they're realizing their own inner power. And this is the same thing that's true for finance. I can't tell you how many people that I talk to that are reluctant to do anything or to change anything primarily out of fear. And fear binds them and it holds them in place and it keeps them stuck. So the first thing, no matter what you think the situation looks like that everybody really ought to do today if they haven't done it yet, is you gotta first make the decision that you can change, that the situation can change. If it's good, it can go to great. If it's bad, it can go to good. And you do that by taking an assessment. So you gotta start first by making the internal decision that I'm going to do something. But second, you start by inventorying where am I? You know, so much about financial planning is really just about plotting a course. It's like navigation. But you can't plot a course to get anywhere if you don't know where you are today. So you start there and then you start thinking about, okay, how do I apply critical thinking and strategy to plot a course to where I wanna be in the future? I absolutely love it. And I just think that you have said something that is very, very powerful. Absolutely love it. So let me ask you, if our audience wanted to get in touch with you and get a custom tailored program for their financial, financial situation, what would they need to do? Is the best thing to call you? And if they're out of your area, do they do video conferencing? Um, do they start with your website? What is the best method? And can you share with the audience how to do that? So the first thing is just to connect with us. In a sense, that's just like raising your hand, saying, I'm here, like, let's do something. <laughs> and you can do that either by going to our website, which is just uh, www.atfinancial.com. Go to the info page and drop us a line. Or you can just call us at you know, 312-767-9166. But we've designed our process so that we really do most of the heavy lead people through the process. All they have to do is raise their hand and say, here I am. So once they connect with us, 
they're in our system, we won't let them slip through the crack, and we'll keep telling them step by step kind of what the next pieces of the puzzle are to move them forward, you know? This is fantastic. I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. You have got a fascinating background. I think you've got the right strength in the way finance finances need to be holistically tailored to each individual. And I thank you for being on the show and sharing so much insight and very important and key insight with the audience today. It's my pleasure. I've, I've enjoyed kind of having an opportunity to talk with you about this and, and to help get this information out. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in today. And please share this information with your friends, your family, all of the people that you know on social media. This is a different approach to finances. And definitely think about the connection that the finances have within you and also the information that, sh that Sam shared in what you can do today to make a change. And you can start that change today by giving at Financial a go at making the change in your area of finance. to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. What a show have I got for you today. I'm excited because guess what we have for you today. We have somebody who has really started to knock it out in the entertainment industry. And in fact, many of us start wondering from an early age, what am I going to do? Or we just start finding enjoyment in certain things. And this person from Atlanta has found some enjoyment in entertainment. In fact, he started discovering his passion. Um, while he was playing a, a guitar, yep, and he started singing. And then as time went on, he started finding that acting in film production was something of interest as well. So boy, what a talent we have with us today, a <laughs> musician and an actor. Yes, he's been credited with already 25 roles behind his name. In fact, you may have heard or known some of them. Yep, we've got... Um, one of them is called Reap It. Another is MacGyver. Yes, you may know that household names. Um, but I'm talking about the current one, the most, most current, 2016 MacGyver. And also Edge of Town. But not only that, he's had uh, two completed, most currently, two completed films, which he may talk about and share with us. There's a couple that's already in post-production. There's one that's in pre-production, and he's currently filming something that we're going to talk about today, The Bounty Hunter. Welcome to the show, Eric James Morris. I'm so excited to have you here because what a history you have and what talents you have, and we're going to talk about some of this stuff. All right. Well, sounds great, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So you started, I mean, you're just, you're here in Atlanta picking up the guitar and singing. What were you, what did you start singing? Were these things, tunes that you started picking up of your own or were you picking them up off the radio? What was going on? Well, truth be told, I started playing guitar when I was a little kid and uh, I, I had a stepdad at the time and he bought me a guitar and I started learning how to play. And when I was a kid, you may not be able to tell from my, where I'm from in my Southern accent or whatever, but 
IL was a big time skateboarder when I was a kid. And that's what I was, that was my thing. I mean, we are, we're all into riding skateboards and tearing up the neighborhood, skipping school, you know, had long hair, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. I was one of those guys. I so don't picture this. This is awesome. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. People look at me like, what? But I'm like, yes, that was me. And um, anyhow, I just uh, played a lot of heavy metal, uh, punk rock type stuff. Okay. And, um, had a little band. And uh, we, uh, we got a situation here with the cops. I don't know what's going on. But anyhow. Okay, uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just have to tell the audience where you are since you said situation with the cops. Oh. I'm still in the parking lot of Dunkin' Donuts, everybody. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, the irony in it is awesome. Okay, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I live in my car. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, I have before in the past. But anyhow, I, I was in a punk rock band as a kid and uh, just had a passion for music. I played a lot of, you know, heavy, uh, heavy guitar. I got real good at guitar when I was a kid. And I uh, played a lot of uh, those crazy fast solos. We did a lot of death metal and just a lot of, you know, just... This, that's what we were into, you know? And then I had to grow up and then I cut my hair and I got, you know, gave up the skateboard and started trying to become, become a man, a responsible man, that is. So uh, I um, hung up the guitar for a while. I didn't really fit in my lifestyle. And then I got married young and uh, I just kind of would beat on the guitar here from every now and then, you know, on the weekends with some buddies or something. And it wasn't until much later in life, uh, in, my, in my 30s, I actually picked it up and really gave it a good go again. And I, I discovered a passion for my uh, country music. You know, I have uh, roots that's kind of embedded in from Nashville and even from my father. He was a big musician as well when he was younger. Um, my grandfather used to play up in Nashville and uh, they had this thing called uh, uh, Mid the Midnight Jamboree, which is Ernest Tubb, Midnight Radio. They, they I don't even, I think they still do it actually, oddly enough. But he would actually go to those and play. And a lot of the big legends of today he's played with them guys and they had what is called these barn jams. They would meet up in these weird barns and just have these hoedowns, whatever you want to call them, you know, and uh, he was a player. He, he, he loved it. And he was big in the country music thing. So I've kind of followed in his footsteps and um, I enjoy country music myself. I sing and play it a lot of it. I also do old rock and stuff like that. But, uh, but I started playing lo uh, locally out at bars and restaurants and started really making a go of it. And I got to where I was really busy. It started consuming my life. I played out all the time. And one day, you know, I'd have sometimes a duo. Sometimes I'd do some things with a band. Um, even went to Nashville and cut a little album once. It, I don't even want to talk about that, everybody. It did turn out like it, like it planned. But I did go, and I tried. So that was a good experience. I learned a lot. And uh, so now I just... I still play. Um, I'm playing a, a, a festival here in a couple weeks, uh, which is kind of cool. I cannot but, wait to hear this because I know that you're going to put it on Facebook and you're going <laughs> to. I love the videos that you put out already, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But uh, yeah. what, a, what a versatile genre repertoire that you have. I mean, from, um, it, you know, punk to i mean just rock and <laughs> and country music i yeah. mean so you, you i mean yeah. this is the versatility is fantastic and so then you went from there into film and how did you i mean transition from doing music into film well it's kind of a weird story um my son who is a little older now he uh when he was a young teenager he had a 
he had an interest in it, you know, trying to be an actor. You know, uh, he wanted to try. So we tried to make that a reality for him. So we went and got his headshots and I got him with a little agent. And when you're a minor, you have to go on set with them because they're underage. Right. So little roles here and there. Made a lot of featured background stuff because he didn't really have a lot of acting experience. So we would go with him. And I was with him on set one night for a young independent filmmaker who's doing some awesome things today. But at the time, he was kind of new. And um, he asked if I would be a background for him. A lot of guys didn't show up. So I did. And, uh, and he said something to me that kind of stuck out. And he said, he asked me if I was an actor or not. And I said, no, nah, man. And um, he told me I had an important look, which I was like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? You know? So I had to really <laughs> think about that for a minute. I took it as a compliment. <laughs> and uh, anyways, I just took that, put it in my tool belt and just kind of moved on. And then my son he kind of grew out of it. He, he, he's more of a sports guy. He was in, in the playing football and, and sees, I guess he saw how much of a, how much of a job it is to be an actor. The pursuit is just a hustle getting rejected at auditions and things like that. I think it started to wear on him a little bit. Okay. But I took, I took the uh, director's note and I said, you know what? I think this might be something I could, would want to try. So, I gave it a go. I uh, started taking classes and I started doing background work and uh, got familiar with the industry that is so unlike anything you would think it is. And I uh, fell in love with it. What can I say? And I hadn't looked back. I've been, I've been pursuing it ever since. And I've really devoted myself into the industry heavily. I, mm-hmm. I well, I'm not training as much as I was, but I used to train. I mean, I mean, I was religiously at my acting class every week. I'd take uh, different workshops from other other acting studios, things like that, to try to get me better on camera. Because, uh, you know, it's just so different having to step out. I mean, my biggest experience being an entertainment professional is being on a stage in front of people performing music, which that in itself is kind of, can be tough in the beginning if you're not used to it. Okay. You know? But to be an actor, it's, it's so much more difficult. Um, you know, it's just a whole different, vibe but i get a lot of the same benefit from it for me as an artist you know it it it, it gives me back what i'm looking for and that's why i love it so much and that's why i pursue it every day because it the industry is tough it would just really it would beat you down if you let it and a lot of people give up because of how hard it is and it's just not what they thought they don't see the results right away and all that kind of thing you gotta you gotta invest in yourself and um, i am a business owner too so i get that and as an actor, that's a business for me as well. So I, it's an investment. What I do, the time I spend, the classes, the money, everything that I spend into a traveling out of state for hardly any money to do a role, it's all part of the process. And I'm, and I, and I know that and I accept it, but well, a lot of people just don't know that. You mentioned two things that I really want to point out for the audience, because I like to leave them with things that will help them, you know, really shape their direction. And you said two things, and that was invest in yourself and never give up. And I think both of those things are crucial to really having us fulfill our dreams, whatever that is. And even if it's just having peace at home, Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's really important. Another thing that I want to talk about too, is when you're pursuing your passion, your interest, which you're doing now, 
it doesn't mean that you just can immediately give up everything else around you. You still might have to do some other things and you're a business owner and you have to continue working really hard at that while you're still pursuing your passion. Tell me a little bit and tell the audience a little bit about what you do with your business. <laughs> okay. Well, my company is called Morris Environmental. We recently, for this year, we shaped up the name to just Morris Enviro. It's just easier to say that it's, a lot of people cannot spell environmental oddly enough. I mean, I'm like, really? The N before the M. But a lot of people just don't get that. So <laughs> when, when they try to send me an email, they misspell my damn email. Um, they misspell my email all the time. And I'm like, man, that gum. So we changed it to Morris Enviro, which is just a lot easier and shorter. So, but Morris Enviro, we're a waterproofing company here in Atlanta, Georgia. We do waterproofing for your home, basement, crawl space. We also do some mold remediation as well. Kind of goes hand in hand with our process. We also do commercial uh, spray applied roof coatings, waterproof coatings, things like that. But yeah, we're a waterproofing company. And you know, I have a background in construction. I've been in construction my whole life. Uh, back when I was a punk riding skateboards, I used to clean out framing uh, houses, uh, residential projects that were building uh, framing houses and uh, making like five bucks an hour you know, cleaning up job sites, blowing up paint cans and things like that. That's where I started. And, and then I grew from there to becoming a senior field engineer, building high rises, 200 plus million dollar projects. I never went to college, but it was something that I, I knew I wanted to do. And it goes back to what we were saying is that I wanted to learn how to be that guy. I never forget one time I was on a job site when I was about maybe 20, 19 or 20 years old. And, uh, I was, shooting grade, putting in some footings, had a crew of guys. I was like a lead carpenter guy or whatever you want to call him. And uh, I watched this guy and he had a tripod and he kept writing these little notes in his little orange book. And he had the long hair with his hard head on backwards. I was like, who is this guy? You know what I mean? I, and they're like, somebody said, he's an engineer. I was like, okay, that's what I want to be. So, and I took the steps and it just kind of all came together. I happen to be really good at doing layout and reading plans. It's something I'm just naturally good at. I don't know why. And so I started applying myself for that, worked with some great engineers, taught me a lot and um, went and bought my own books and used to spend time at Barnes and Noble reading about it. And uh, I just became good at it. And, uh, but I, but I graduated out of that. I got, I, I'm not, I don't make a good employee. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I'm made to be a, a business owner because I don't do well I do well as a as a as the head, not as the as the the follower. I just don't. I have a tough time. I'm not. It's not that I'm anti-authority. I just have a tough time really working for other people and doing things their way when I know it could be done better. You know. And we have a vision. Yes, and it's hard to be, when you have a vision to be limited on that because people put you in a box and you cannot express use creativity or even ingenuity in something yeah. that you can do more efficient or whatever the case may be which i want to share with the viewers you have developed a way to share some of the things that people can do by util with your services mm -hmm. by utilizing video so you're incorporating your acting and you know yeah. Visualizing with your current, oh, I mean, this this is fantastic with your business, with your acting business, and you're merging them with your current, um, you know, uh, Morris Enviro business, and I love it. I mean, I, 
not, not a lot of people will do this. And uh, I happen to love scrolling through my Facebook feed and knowing that I'm going to, to see something that I can use personally. It's, it's really hard sometimes when you're thinking, okay, how can I do this on my own or just get educated about this? And you, here you are um, sharing this information and I love it. And, um, and you're good at what you do. And, I mean, you're a natural. Somebody already told you this. And so this carries very well into your other business. So um, speaking of film, you're currently working on a project, The Bounty Hunter. Tell me, because I've seen some pictures um, on your, the Facebook movie page, you know, your actor page, um, right. your Bounty Hunter on, you know, you being on set. So can you share with us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. The Bounty Hunter is, it's an independent project, but it's, what's really cool about the director, he has a little company called BWC Films, which stands for Bravo Whiskey Charlie Films. It's a veteran organization. They're, he is a war veteran uh, himself, the director is, and he tries to incorporate as many veterans as he can in his projects. So that's kind of cool right there alone. He, he, I was in the Air Force, uh, and I'm not a war veteran. I used to put fuel in planes. I mean, nothing to write home about. But, it, you know, he likes the fact that I was that I did serve. So he tries to use guys like that. Everybody in that's in this project is not, don't get me wrong. But mm -hmm. the fact that he's trying to utilize guys that are def definitely um, war veterans, combat veterans, things like that, it's cool. Because it can be tough to you know to adjust to, to normal life and things like that for some guys. It's been through that. He's one of them. Now, with that said, Bounty Hunter is a cool Western film. It's based in the uh, Civil War era. It's about a it's a kind of a love story with a lot of a uh, true, you know, Western type shootouts and things like that. Some of your typical Western-y type stuff. Um, my role, I play a guy named Gentleman Johnny. Uh, I'm a kind of a towny guy. I'm, clean cut. I'm the love interest of the story. Uh, basically, the girl, her name's Belle, and we're in love with each other, and her father doesn't like me at all. He's like this big town crooked guy that has all the money and control, and he wants to frame me for a murder that I didn't commit, so he hires a bounty hunter to track me down to have me killed, really. And the bounty hunter along the way discovers that I'm actually innocent. I've been framed. So it, he kind of teams up with me and a bunch of other guys. And we wind up having a, a battle with this crooked guy in, in town with his men. It's a big shootout. And so it's, it's kind of cool. A lot of uh, facts he's thrown in there is, is based on a lot of factual events. Things mm. Civil War here in Atlanta area. He tries to incorporate some of that into some of the script like dates and places and things like that, which is kind of cool. He's trying to be accurate with the period. So, and he's done a very good job, even though the budget's not really huge. He, he does have somebody already that's going to be a distributor for the project, which is cool. Uh, it may get reshot down the road. I, I hope it does with a bigger budget. Cause I think this, this, this Western film has a lot of good potential. And I, and I don't say that about every project, to be honest with you, but, <laughs> so, you know it's the truth but this one has a very good script the story's really cool i like westerns myself and i don't think they do enough of them um so i, I like the fact that he's trying to do one people don't do them especially especially on an independent level because they're not easy to do you have costume right. you have period correct stuff there's horseback riding in this film 
and there's all kind of things that you need professional stunt guys for, but he's able to make it happen with guys that can ride. I can ride a horse. I mean, I'm no rodeo guy, but I can get on one and make it go. <laughs> you know, the, other, the other bounty hunter, he can ride a horse too. He's well-versed in riding. Uh, but uh, so stuff like that, you know, it's kind of cool the way he's make it come together. Now, it's taking a long time to get it complete because of the things I just said. Mm-hmm. So, you well, know, that's money. Um, but it's, it's, it's coming together. He's going to wrap it up here very soon. So I don't know where it's going to wind up. It may be on Amazon prime, you know, uh, who knows, may get reshot. Maybe you'll see it on Netflix one day. I hope, you know, uh, but it is a good, cool story. And I hope everybody that's watching, uh, look out for it and, uh, tune in. I love it. And you have some upcoming projects. I think that the audience, uh, I don't know how much you're able to disclose, but I think that they should keep an eye out for your name. You um, will be having some episodes that are coming to TLB TV as well. You're going to have your own show yeah. here and we're welcoming you to the family. We love what you're doing. I've got to tell you, we absolutely are just enthralled with so much about what you've got going on and I can't wait for the audience to see more. And I just kind of want to leave a little mystery there because the stuff that's coming down the pipe is going to be pretty, pretty exciting. So if the audience would like to connect with you, I have an article that accompanies um, the episode today, but I would also like for you to share with them um, how they can get in contact with you. Yeah. Well, just, Find me in Atlanta at a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot. <laughs> I, probably, I love the coffee. I think there's something in it that's addictive because I can't stop drinking it. I'm like, man, what's in this stuff? <laughs> Anyhow, I got to uh, that was just so classic. The sirens, the Dunkin' Donuts. This was, this was know, awesome. This is life in Atlanta. You know, it's just, I love this city. What can I say? <laughs> well, and me being a retired cop, I mean, this is just, it was just the whole, the whole thing. This is awesome. <laughs> well, um, on a serious note, I mean, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you, you can catch me uh, as a, a personal reach out to me. I still have some, uh, a lot of friendship left. I don't accept everybody. Uh, you know, I don't like people to talk about politics, um, you know, things like that. Um, you know, of course, any naked pictures and things like that, or, you know, I get people, you know, all those crazy friends requests. So I really weed out people that sit me with a friends, friends request. I'm not looking to hit the max as soon as possible. I want all my friends to mean something. So I really take my time with it. So if you feel like you're one of them people, feel free to reach out to me. It's, uh, it's Eric Morris and the number two is my personal profile. Uh, of course, you can hit my professional page. It's Eric James Morris, the complete name. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's Eric James Morris, all one word. Also, um, check out my IMDb page. It's uh, Eric James Morris. That's my stage name. That is my full name as well. So if you look for me, you want to keep up with me, always be sure and Google Eric James Morris because there is another guy in, in the Los Angeles named Eric Morris who is a pretty famous heavy hitter uh, acting coach. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's not me. So <laughs> look for Eric James Morris and you'll find me. So, uh, But outside of that, um, that's the best way to, to reach out to me and I would love it. any all of you guys to reach out to me and keep up with what I'm doing because – I'm working on things and trying to make it happen. So uh, I, I appreciate any support and, and any fans that I can, I can find along the way. Well, I appreciate you taking your time to be with us today. So thank you very, very much. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me. Rebecca. This is awesome. I can't wait to work with you on my, 
on our instructional uh, series coming up. So I know. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. As always, I'm going to ask that you share this with your friends, family, get it all over social media, and definitely check out Eric James Morris. He's got a lot of stuff that he has to share with you and a lot of stuff that's coming that you're going to want to check out. Do remember a couple things that he shared with you today to invest in yourself. Really, really important. And I, I, I can't, I just can't share that enough. Invest in yourself. That, I think that's going to be the, the key phrase yes. for today.